This morning we will read verse uh, chapter 7, Revelation chapter 7, verse 11 through 14. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. May the Lord add his richest blessings to the reading of his word. This morning you may be seated. Seven months ago, it has now been since we were in Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. And in Revelation 4, verse 11, we were visiting and rejoicing with the Apostle John, the beloved Apostle, as the 24 elders, we heard about them in the morning Sunday school or the Sunday Bible class. And they sang these words, Worthy are you, O our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Listen to the words of Jonathan Edwards. Quote, Let us be exhorted to exalt God alone and ascribe to him all the glory of redemption. Let us endeavor to obtain and increase in a sensibleness of our great dependence, to have our eye on him alone, to mortify or put to death a self-dependent and self-righteous disposition. Man is naturally exceeding prone to exalt himself and to depend on his own power of goodness, as though from himself he must expect happiness. He is prone to have respect to enjoyments alien from God in his spirit as those in which happiness is to be found. But this doctrine should teach us to exalt God alone, as by trust and reliance, so by praise. As the scripture says, let him that glorieth glory in the Lord. Hath any man hope that he is converted and sanctified and that his mind is endowed with true excellency and spiritual beauty? That his sins are forgiven and he received into God's favor and exalted to the honor and blessedness of being his child and an heir of eternal life? Let him give God all the glory who alone makes him to differ from the worst of men in this world or the most miserable of the damned in hell. Hath any man much comfort and strong hope of eternal life? Let not his hope lift him up, but to dispose him the more to abase himself, to reflect on his own exceeding unworthiness of such a favor 
and to exalt God alone. Is any man eminent in holiness and abundant in good works? Let him take nothing of the glory of it to himself, but ascribe it to him whose workmanship we are, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Again, the words of Jonathan Edwards, who was involved in the Great Awakening, a true revival that took place about 300 years ago now, probably 250, somewhere around there. This he wrote in his book, God Glorified in Man's Dependence. As we come to this particular passage of Scripture, I want to remind us once again why we are here in the book of Revelation. Last week we looked at those who were sealed, those who were protected by God. 12,000 from every tribe, as we said, there will be coming a time in which I believe the scriptures are clear that there will be two-thirds of every Jew, Jew or of all the Jewish people in the world who would be killed. It will make the first call of Holocaust seem like child's play. After that time or during that time, the persecution, I believe, will grow or continue to grow against the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we must be prepared for whatever comes. We have talked about this before with many of you. We do not know what the timing of the Lord's return is. What we are told, though, is that we must be ready for that day. We do not know when it will come. Morning, noon, or night, as one hymn writer put it. Be ready for his return. And this is what my prayer is and my desire is that as we go through the book of Revelation, that each one of these passages, each one of these messages will point you to the Lord Jesus Christ. Titus chapter 2 is very clear that we are to look for that blessed hope. What is the blessed hope? The blessed hope is not the timing. The blessed hope is the fact the glorious return of Jesus Christ. The fact that he will be coming back. When he comes back, of course, what great joy for those of us who are true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. But what heartache, what sorrow will come to those who are not true believers as Revelation chapter 6 made it very clear that kings and rulers all the way down to the poorest of the poor in the world will begin to cry even to the rocks and the mountains to fall on us and hide us from the wrath which is coming, to hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. Another commentator noted this at the end of chapter 5, there is a growing choir that takes place around the throne. First, we had the four living creatures that began in verse 8. Secondly, we have the 24 elders that join in. It is these elders which, these 24 elders which throw their Stephanos, their, their crown, not a diadem, but a wreath that has been made a victorious crown, and they throw their crowns around the throne of God. And then we found in chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, that harps are added. And then the angels added their untold myriads of voices in verse 11. And finally, every creature in heaven and earth sings the wonder of the thrice holy God in chapter 5, verse 13. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. 
when we get to heaven, whatever day that is, whatever year, whatever decade, whatever millennium, whenever this takes place, I can assure you that not one of us will be there because of our own strength. We will not be there because of our faithfulness. We will not be there because we somehow managed to work up enough salvation and enough good works versus bad works to be able to get there. No, we will be there because of Jesus Christ alone. Salvation belongs to him from start to finish, from eternity past until eternity future. And as we will see in this chapter again, salvation belongs unto him, not to us. The fact that he is so gracious that he would see who we were. And even before he saw, because he doesn't save us, because he looks down and says, you know, hey, I think I just have to have that short guy that's going to be named Mark Escalera one day, and I just have to have him to make heaven more heaven. No. Simply by his grace and by his mercy, he allowed me one day to be able to hear the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ Many of you know my testimony and having gone to Bible school in my second year of Bible college, thinking that I was a believer, God in his mercy still continued to let me hear the gospel and then brought me to faith in himself. In hearing the gospel message, knowing and recognizing that apart from Jesus Christ, I was lost and on my way to hell, even as a preacher's kid. Now, Why is that important? Because I think there are some people maybe even here this morning and you think because you have gone to church or because you're a member of the church or because you've given in the offering or because you've been a teacher or a deacon or a pastor or a preacher or whatever it is that you have been in church that somehow that is what helps qualify you to be able to sing around the throne of God. Nothing could be further from the truth. It is not because of who your parents are or what your lineage is. I have grandfathers who ministered in the pulpit. That doesn't take me to heaven. My dad did for 40-something years. That is not going to take me to heaven. I have to have, as he said rightly this morning in the Sunday school class, and you have to have a personal relationship with a living God. You have to come to the point where you recognize that your life is lost, that you are on your way, unfortunately. But as the Bible says, and even though we don't like the word, and there are many in evangelical circles who will not preach this to you, you will be bound for hell for eternity. There is no escape from that once you go there. We talk in the the New Testament, for example, of the rich man and Lazarus, the rich man who goes and he wakes up and he finds himself in hell. The rich man is still in hell today. He will be there 10,000 years from now. He will be there a million years from now. 10 billion years from now. When time no longer exists, he will still be separated from the love of God. He will still be separated from the love of the Lord Jesus Christ because of his rejection of God. You see, this is the problem with every religion in the world today. Every religion that is man-made will seek to be able to tell you that you can do something to merit God's favor. God's grace is free. 
You can't merit it. There is nothing you can do to earn one iota of that. And so we come and we have found that these people who are found in the first part of Revelation chapter 7, these these 144,000 that God has sovereignly chosen to be able to be his servants as we find later and we will look at in Revelation chapter 14. But we find another group of people. The world has gone in chapter 6, they have gone through an unparalleled catastrophe. In our message last week, we saw that John gave a brief respite to contemplate what God was doing in the calm before the storm. You could forgive John if he had simply ended this book on a high note. I mean, chapter 7 is a pretty high note. I mean, can you imagine that listening to these creatures and the angels singing and the elders singing and the choirs and the harps that are going? And, and I just can't imagine what that must be like. But what a glorious picture that it reveals of eternity with our God. In our last message, we concluded by seeing this great multitude around the throne and with one voice again, listen to this in verse 9 and verse 10. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every tribe, from every nation, from every people, from every language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. I I want to encourage you, in the mornings as we are preparing for the morning service, there are a lot of slides that come up on the overhead behind me. We also have information in the bulletin. But we spend time putting those together because I want you to understand when we're praying for Kyrgyzstan or we're praying for Laos or Latvia or Lebanon as these countries are coming up, this is not just a name that starts with a K or an L or whatever letter that is found in the alphabet. It is not just praying about this nebulous place that none of us will ever visit. When we pull these countries up, We have the number of people groups that are in them. We have the number of languages that are there. Some of them, especially the ones in Africa, you will find that 35 to 40% of their population is under 15. And we present these facts because we want you to be able to pray for them specifically that God will do a miracle. He would do a work of salvation in these nations. Don't just say, Lord, pray for Kyrgyzstan or Lord, bless the people in Laos. No, pray that God will use the persecution that is going on in those places to raise up more who will be part of his bride. Again, verse 10. These unknown peoples, this large group of people, this innumerable host, they're crying with a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. There is no doubt in these people's minds. We have sung the song, maybe maybe you have sung it, we should have probably done this today, I didn't even think about it until it was too late, but these words that we have here result in a doxology of praise. Do you know the doxology? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. When we get to heaven, 
we will be singing his praises and we will be doing it without one ounce of sin. There will be no more sin. We will be able to sing with all of our heart, soul, and mind. That's the greatest commandment, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. Second commandment is likened to it, love our neighbor as ourselves. You and I can't do that perfectly in this world. But one day we will. Let us look at this doxology of praise, this progression that begins in verse 11. Again, the mighty throng of saints, they have sung their praise for salvation and they have not acknowledged before all of heaven that it belongs alone to the triune God. I love the hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy. My, my sons uh, and I were talking uh, earlier this week when we were preparing some of the music and I said, yeah, that one, I like that one. Yep, and I like that one, and I like that one. So when it's my time to go and you have a funeral for me, I want to make sure that these hymns are sung. And one of them said, we're going to be here a long time. <laughs> I love singing. And I love, even though our voices are not perfect down here, to be able to hear the words, holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. Early in the morning my song will rise to thee. When we get to heaven, morning will never end. It will be perfect. None who are around the throne here have anything in which to boast. And we find here in verse 11 again, look at this, the angels standing around the throne and around the elders and the foreign living creatures. And what does it say? They fell on their faces. Now my, my dad addressed this and I have addressed this just briefly last week, but uh, I would like to take just a moment to be able to address what is taking place. And it's all over the news media. And I'm sure you've heard about it and it's called the Asbury Revival. Anybody here familiar with that? Okay, you've watched it, maybe watched some of the videos. Let me tell you the first thing that happens in revival because we have prayed for revival. We continue to pray for revival every single week here at Yellowstone Baptist Church. In fact, you'll notice it's even on our prayer sheet. God, send revival. Send it to my heart. Let me tell you the first thing that happens in revival. God and God alone is glorified. If there is something that is taking place that God is not glorified, it is not revival. Secondly, sin becomes abominable to us as humans because we are so struck by the holiness of God that it sends us to our faces, it sends us to our knees and we can't help but cry out, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. This last week I was appalled. Maybe some of you have seen the video. I even thought about sharing a clip of it with you this morning, but I didn't think that it was necessary. But in one of the videos, there is a probably a seven and an eight or a seven and a nine-year-old girl who come up and they are on the platform. And in this video, they are casting demons, supposedly, out of these two little girls. In one of them, it doesn't say who it is, but there is a man who is sitting straddling on top of this little girl, supposedly putting his hands on her stomach to cast out a demon. My friends, that doesn't bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ. 
And I think that it's important that as dad said this morning in the Sunday Bible class, that we begin to have discernment for what is taking place in our world today, for what is taking place in evangelicalism. Now, do I want revival? I want revival. I desperately want revival and I want it to begin with me. And you should want it to begin with you. We should be coming to church expecting God to be doing great things in our midst and for pointing us to himself. But we're not going to do it by getting all worked up through emotionalism to do something that is not found in the scriptures. These saints who are gathered around the throne, they, they now come to a point where they, they fall on their faces and they are worshiping. In the Middle East, this involved falling on the knees and touching the ground with the forehead as an expression of profound reverence. Now, maybe some of you have gone to churches and please do not misunderstand what I'm getting ready to share with you. There is nothing wrong in churches, if somebody is raising their hands and singing and giving praise and honor to the Lord, uh, praise and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ, there is nothing inherently wrong in that. If we are doing it for the purposes of bringing attention to ourselves, then it does become wrong. In the Bible, when people came face to face with God, though, do you know what they did? They found the lowest place in the dirt to be able to put their face. Because they couldn't even look at the glory of God. As I've been going through the Old Testament reading again, and I was reading in Numbers this morning, the Lord Jesus Christ, or God is speaking to Moses, and he tells him to bring the 70 elders, and he says, I will look upon Moses. Moses will get to see parts of me, but you will not, because he is whom I have chosen. Gideon, others in the Old Testament, when they come face to face with God, what happens? They fall on their faces and they are afraid, deathly afraid, that God is going to kill them because they have seen God. Down through the years, I've heard of my dad has used the illustrations, and maybe some of you know, for example, the, 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 the minister Oral Roberts, who supposedly saw a 900-foot Jesus standing at the foot of his bed one year. You know, when, when we make a mockery of who God is, we truly do not understand, and I believe that there are a lot of people who do not understand who God really is because they haven't bothered to read his description of himself. Somebody was sharing with me this last week that for the first time in their life they have read through the entire Bible. Praise the Lord. There is no better book that you will be able to read. Uh, not asking you to understand it. After years of ministry, my dad, years of ministry, there are still things we don't understand about this book. But we understand and have a clearer picture of the God of this book though. Because the God of this book changes lives. If you have problems, if you have concerns, if there are things that are going on in your life, we know how to find the answer. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. The Bible is good for all that pertains to life and godliness. 
If you're still living and you haven't crossed the threshold from life and gone through death and waking up on the other side of eternity, this is still for you. It's for me. Every single day. Not just on Sunday morning from 11 to 12. In the New Testament, this worshiping refers to kneeling and doing homage to one of superior rank to express respect or to make supplication. We find not only the progression, but we also find the remainder of heaven here. Again, the angels, the 24 elders, the four living creatures, they have all broken into praise in full agreement with the saints, the amens of the incredible creatures that God has made ring through heaven in an anthem of praise. This word is actually used over 150 times in the New Testament alone. Or speaking of the word amen. The word amen is actually a most remarkable word, as this commentator noted. It was translated directly from the Hebrew into the Greek of the New Testament and then into Latin and then into English and many other languages so that it is practically a universal word. It has been called the best known word in human speech. The word is directly related, in fact almost identical to the Hebrew word for believe, which is a man or faithful. Thus, it came to mean sure or truly or I agree as an expression of absolute trust and confidence. Who is there absolute trust and confidence in? In God. And so begins here in verse 12, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And I think, do we have the next? Should be the next slide. No, oh, keep going. There we go. This is actually Koine Greek in which John would have been using a quill on parchment and he would have been writing and it would have looked a lot like what you see here. There are a lot of times, for example, when we go to the Old Testament we hear the word holy, holy, holy. It makes a big difference when you're actually hearing the angels who are standing around the throne shouting at the top of their voices across all of the universe as they are singing the praises of God. Kadosh! 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 And here we have the sevenfold praise that John is writing. And I would like you to understand what this praise is because it is this sevenfold praise that God asks us to do as well. The blessing is the first one. This is the word eulogia, which also means maybe you are familiar with this word from going to a funeral. Somebody gives a eulogy. And the word eulogy simply means to give praise. Now, in case some of you are taking notes, which I do see that some of you are doing that, and I've already talked about my funeral, so if you want to help, take these notes so that you'll be prepared for the eulogy when it comes time for me to go. Don't give praise to Mark. Because I'm a nobody. 
I am who I am because I am a sinner saved by grace. And it is only because of Jesus Christ that I am able to stand before you this morning as an imperfect person, as an imperfect pastor, as an imperfect church member. But I want you to understand that the blessing that is here, that these angels and everybody is singing aloud, they are giving praise to one person. And that is to Jesus Christ. He alone is worthy of their praise. We find, secondly, the glory. It's interesting that the word that is used here, each one of these are a definite article that are prefaced with the word thee. So it's not just a blessing. We pray the Lord's blessings on something or we pray for a blessing when we travel or we pray for whatever. No, this is the blessing. This is the ultimate blessing, the ultimate of giving praise. And here we come to the second thee, the glory, doxa, doxology. And this simply refers to the kingly majesty which belongs to Jesus Christ as the supreme ruler, majesty in the sense of the absolute perfection of the deity. Now, there is only one God, and his name is not Allah. His name is not Buddha. His name is not Confucius. Our God, as we have been learning in Psalm 23 on Wednesday night, He is the great I am, the I am that I am, I am, the self-existent one. When we are in heaven, the heavens, the new heavens and the new earth will ring with the glory of the Almighty. Even creation itself will be brand new. Creation will be... we, We will see a new creation that every aspect of it reaches out and it sings to the praises of the Almighty. Maybe you have sung the little chorus, Majesty, Majesty, worship His Majesty. That doesn't begin to describe what we are going to do when we are in glory. We come to the third part of this sevenfold praise, and that is the wisdom. The word Sophia here, the wisdom of God, as evinced in forming and executing the councils in the formation and government of the world and of the scriptures. As Job said, God told Job in the book of Job, he says, where were you when I did all the things that I did? I didn't ask for your permission. I didn't ask for your counsel. But we get all the way through the Bible, we go through the Old Testament, we find the sovereignty of God, we then come to the New Testament and we get down to the end of James and James reminds us what we ought to be saying is if the Lord's will, we will do this or that. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanishes away. You see, the things of the world are foolishness. I want to go back to the situation that is taking place in Kentucky right now at this college and that is supposedly spread. You see, when God changes our hearts, he doesn't leave us in the sin in which he finds us. He changes our hearts to the point where we are willing to acknowledge what he acknowledges as sin. There are actually open reports, even the liberal media is reporting it, that the LGBTQ 
agenda, those who hold to that perspective, are actually there at the revival. And they are supposedly praying with professors who are endorsing them that God will bring Asbury to a point where they will drop their standards in order to allow this to take place openly on the campus. My friends, that is not revival. Fourthly, the fourth part of this praise is the thanksgiving. Eucharistia, which we get the word Eucharist, or some people use that to refer to what we have here. This is a a time of thanksgiving that we give thanks to the Lord for the elements which are before us. But it simply means the giving of thanks for God's blessings. Now, any of you blessed today? Anybody had a blessing today? No? Wow. Boy, I'm really sad for all of you who haven't received a blessing today. Seriously, we've all received blessings. Anybody here not breathing? Anybody not eat over the last week? Anybody still breathing oxygen? Yeah? Yeah? Those are just some of God's blessings. He doesn't have to give us any of those things. Do you not remember the news of what's transpired in Turkey and Syria? They're they're saying now almost 50,000 people just right out into eternity. Never had a chance to take another breath. Some of them didn't even know what hit them, just gone. The fact that we were able to get up, the fact that we live in the country that we do, the fact that we get to drive down the road, the fact that we, whether we're paying three and a half dollars or four dollars a gallon, the fact that we have a car to be able to put gas in, the fact that we have jobs, the fact that we have grocery stores that are full of food, all of these things are blessings from God. God in his sovereign wisdom allowed us to be a great nation. Oh, how far we have fallen. That we have forgotten. We we give thanks sometimes to our military. For those of you who served in the military, again, thank you for your service. But as we have served, those of you who have served whatever length of time, some of you have spent enough time to be able to retire from the military. When you go and you spend time, we need to be giving thanks that God has allowed you to be able to serve. When I see the military, I thank them. I'm reminded my dad, for example, who also served, gives out those little coins that are out here in, in, the, in the, the, the open area here in the hallway. You can take those and pass those out. But you know what it reminds me every time I give a coin out, every time I give a track out, every time I see a military member, it reminds me that just as they serve, I am called to serve the great commander. Fifthly, this sevenfold anthem continues with the honor. Can you see this building up? The blessing, the glory, the wisdom, the thanksgiving. It's like there's just not enough words to be able to describe God. This honor which we have here is is one which is held by reason of rank and the state of office which he holds. We honor him. We will honor no others. 
whether we have one crown, as Dad said in the lesson this morning from James, whether we have one crown, whether it's a crown with jewels or whether it's a Stephanos, it doesn't matter what it is. The important thing is not about the crown. The important thing is who we will be before. He continues, the word dunamis here, the sixth part of this anthem, the power, dunamis is where we get our English word dynamite from. And it is an an inherent power as it is used here in Revelation 7. And it means the power that resides in a thing by virtue of its nature. There's nobody else in the world that had, or in the entire universe, or anybody in history, or in time past immemorial, who had the ability to be able to say, let there be light. And there was light. Nobody had the ability to be able to create a world, to be able to shape out of the dust of the ground something that was made in the image of God, to be able to breathe into that person the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Nobody else could do that. Nobody else was God enough. Though, yes, there were plenty of gods. There were all kinds of gods of the heathen. The Canaanites, just go back and read the Old Testament. God made it very clear they were not to worship the foreign gods. But there is no God like ours. There is no God who laid aside his glory in the form of the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead, God the Son, laid aside his glory, came down to this earth, was born as a little tiny baby. I had the privilege of holding James this morning. I don't know what you guys are feeding him, but he is just growing fast. And to be able to hold that little baby and realize that just as we see that little baby, so too Jesus Christ, the God of the entire universe, came down to this earth and was willing to subject himself in all humility to be born like that. Knowing that he came for one purpose, he came to die. We're getting ready to celebrate, to me, what is the most wonderful time of the year, and that is Resurrection Sunday, to be able to remember Passion Week, to remember what Jesus Christ did and the week leading up to the cross. But it wasn't just about that one week. You see, if we think that was the only part that was about the crucifixion, you miss the whole part that actually started in eternity past when God decided that he was going to come in the first place. And then finally, we have the word, the might. The word here means to hold in check with ability, force, strength, and might. Nothing, nothing in this world happens without God's knowledge. Nothing happens without it being under the control of God. God alone holds this might. You remember, even, even on, on, a, on a basic level, do you remember what God asked Job? Can, can you take Leviathan and draw him out with a little hook? Can, can, can you do these things? He said, just in case you forget who I am, Job, uh, you can't even draw out Leviathan, but I hold all the stars in my hand and know them by name. Any astronomers or budding astronomers or wanted to be an astronomer when you were growing up? If you haven't checked recently, there are actually a number of stars and planets and, 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 and uh, clusters of stars and galaxies. They still don't have names for them. They're numbers because there's so many of them. 
God knows every one of them because he created them. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows how many days you have in your life. And it will not be one more or one less. If we would understand that, I think that in our preparation for whatever comes ahead, whether we are actually here when the Lord returns or whether we have already preceded the saints in death and our bodies rest in the ground waiting for the day of glorification, when we will be given a brand new body, I don't know when that's going to take place. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I do know that God is still in control. God is still sovereign. We are still going to gather around the throne. Let's look finally this morning at the blood-bought saints. Who are these saints? This is found in verse 13 and 14. Now I know in these verses we find a little bit of a quandary. Are these a separate group of people that are saints of the church, then the saints of the church age? If they're distinct, we have to ask a few questions though. Number one, how did they come to faith? Many believe that the Holy Spirit has been removed at this point in the book of Revelation during this time of tribulation. But the question we must ask then is this, how can this be possible if Christ said that the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, would be here permanently to indwell all believers and to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and the coming judgment? Thirdly, how can an innumerable host get saved without the convicting power of the Holy Spirit to bring about regeneration? You see, if the Holy Spirit doesn't convict you of your sin, you are never going to come to Christ in the first place. You only come because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. So who are these that are clothed in white robes? And some of you may disagree, and that's fine. But this is where I'm at after the study that I have done in this area. So I hope that you'll bear with me as I try to explain briefly in the next couple of minutes who these people are. An elder has spoken here and the word is actually a different word than is normally used when it refers to speaking. And the word here actually means to begin to speak but always where something has preceded it either said or done, to which the, the remarks refer. In other words, in this break in the action, a group of people all of a sudden have made an appearance in heaven. And the elder wants to know who they are, but the question seems to be rhetorical because John indicates that he knows just as well as the elder does who these saints are. So where do they come from? As we have talked about in previous messages, I believe that these saints are those who come out of a time of great tribulation. I do not see in this passage that there are anything other than saints, that these are anything other than saints of the New Testament church age. Saints are called out by God by sovereign election to be his children. Believers from the Old Testament age believed by faith in the coming Messiah while those who are saved after the cross believe the same way by faith alone, by grace alone. The privilege that we have though is that we are saved by Christ alone. Every person who is saved from the time of the Lord Jesus Christ 
until the time that he returns and draws time on this world, every person who comes by faith has to come the same way they come, by the way of the cross. This is why we have the privilege of being able to partake this morning. We are reminded one more time and one less time that Jesus Christ came, he died, was buried, rose again, and he is coming back for a bride who has made herself ready. And here's my final point this morning. These saints, however many there are, wherever they have come from, we know obviously they come from earth, but whatever time frame they are there from, however much time there is between the start of the tribulation or, and these saints who are now standing before God, they are all there the same way they have been cleansed. Look at verse 14. They have been cleansed. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. In a few minutes we are going to sing the hymn, Here is Love, Vast as the Ocean. Beautiful hymn. And we have to ask ourselves a few more questions. Was it love alone that brought these saints to surround the throne of the self-existent eternal one? He who is the great I am? No, I don't believe it was. You see, as we will learn, Lord willing, next week, everything in all of history pointed to one thing, and that is without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. <clears throat> We cannot pick up the bread and re not be reminded that the Lord Jesus Christ gave his body and it was broken for us. We cannot pick up the cup and remind, be reminded by the grape juice that is in there, the redness, the deep crimson of his blood which was shed on our behalf. We cannot do that. The shepherds watched over the Passover lambs and yet they were privileged to see the Passover lamb. When Christ came across the hills of Judea to be baptized, John the Baptist was given the insight to know that Yeshua, Jesus himself, was not a mere man, but would be the lamb who came to take away the sin. These saints who are wearing white robes, these white robes that have been washed by the blood of Christ, the word is used figuratively of those who by faith so appropriate the results of Christ's expiation as to be regarded by God as pure and sinless. Listen carefully. If you miss anything else, I want you to understand this. This is not just about Christ dying for your sins. This is not simply a mere ascension to the fact that a good man came, lived as a rabbi, and died after 33 years and died on a Roman cross. This is not just about you being able to go to heaven because you have repented of your many sins. No, a thousand times no. These saints from all ages who now stand and sing around the throne, they're not only sinless, but they are guiltless. The guilt that we have, the guilt that arises in our heart because of our sin, we have to understand that Christ made atonement the just for the unjust. 
There is only one just person. Everybody else who has ever lived or who will ever live is unjust. That means you and I this morning. We are all in this camp. But when Jesus Christ forgives you, it is because he paid the penalty. And now there is not even any guilt that we must face. There is no condemnation. What a glorious truth. And it's why we will be able to sing to the glory of the Lamb with these saints. Listen to one of the stanzas of the beautiful words of the hymn in Christ alone. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I'll stand. These saints that are gathered around the throne, they are standing there, they are then falling upon their faces and they are worshiping the Most High because of the power of Christ. We, we've sung the hymn, we've, we've sung it here in the past. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood, in the precious blood of the Lamb. And if you are depending on anything else this morning, you will not find yourself being able to be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is only because of Him. It is only because of His blood. It is only because He graciously came to you and revealed Himself and to you the need of a Savior. And the Holy Spirit brings you to the point where you confess your sins and you repent and you agree with God what He already knows about you. That you are hopeless, helpless, and on your way to hell without Him. And then He sets your feet on a solid rock. And he makes you one of his children. And when he looks at you, he doesn't see your sin anymore. He sees Jesus Christ. He sees you clothed in the robes of his son. What a glorious God we serve. What an awesome Savior we have. That he would be willing from eternity past to set his love upon you and me. Let's pray.